What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 250, uh, halfway to 500, Jesus, of uh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday? Yeah. May yep, 26th, Thursday. 7.36 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.36 Pacific Standard Time, in case you needed to know that. My <laughs> name is Josh Cannon. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Mike, besides your frustrating computer technology woes uh how have you been i've been doing all right uh you know everything is just uh going uh you know the best that it possibly can you know it's that kind of thing you know i still have to take you know pills every goddamn day to keep whatever the hell this is, this condition i have now under control but you know over that you know everything's fine mike's got the fungus the fungus among us it's not a fungus. It's just a skin skin eating disease. It's not a skin eating disease. Thankfully, I've actually had some medical adventures of my own uh, the last the past oh, week. Um, uh-huh. And and yeah, I don't know if if you're new here. Uh, sometimes, actually, oftentimes, me and Mike will open up the podcast discussing our lives for a little bit. Is that okay with you? <laughs> we got a comment on Podbean which is one of the websites or whatever that our, yeah, our podcast yeah, yeah. gets distributed to. And every now and then I'll get like a, a email saying uh, someone from Podbean comments on your podcast. And they're usually negative. I don't know why specifically on Podbean they're negative, but uh, the dude just goes, nobody cares about your personal lives. And I'm like, well, well that's weird. Cause like people tell us all the time, like the chit chat is like half the reason they listen. So anyway, um, it just happened to work out to where last week um, I had to go to the dentist on Monday, and then on fucking Tuesday I had to go to the doctor uh, for kind of two different things. Oh, like, so it was uh, double trouble. Double whammy. Double waking <laughs> up and having to go straight to the place because I tried to make, you know, I tried to make my appointment, like, as soon as I could get up and just get it out of the way, you know? Well, I know when it comes to the dentist, like, I probably have some major work that needs to be done but i don't have the money i don't have any health insurance oh dude even with health even with health insurance they have some nasty they have some nasty gotchas in those health insurance plans um so anyway i went just because i hadn't been in like five or six years and i was like i I need to you know like i'm not having any like real mouth pain right now except for my one of my lower molars i'm there's i think there's a crack in the filling and there's like a cavity that's developed in the crack and every now and then sugar or something will get in that crack and it'll hurt but um aside from that like i I don't have any other mouth pain you know or whatever i just i just went because yeah i wasn't sure you know like like the back like my back wisdom teeth is kind of tender around the gums and they were probably like uh you know this is bad like so they did the (laughs) x-rays and everything and, and honestly they were like um they're like, you know, your your teeth look pretty good. Um, she's like, I, I do see that crack you're talking about. And if it's sensitive to um, cold, then we'll need to do a root canal. But if it's not sensitive, then it just needs a crown. And then she's like, yeah, the crown costs $1,700. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, but I got health insurance or dental. And she's like, yeah, uh, they have you on a waiting period. You have to wait a year. From from when the day you got the health the dental plan you have to wait uh, listen listen up my Canadian and my Australian friends this is the bullshit that you have to deal with as an American in this fucking country that some people who's your greatest country no not by a large fucking margin this is not the greatest country in the world but anyway I have to wait a year 
for it to kick in. But that's when you renew for your second year of dental coverage. Uh-huh. So it's like, uh-huh. what are they, am I, you know, like, what the fuck is that? You know, but bullshit like cleaning. They just got you in a cycle. Yeah, and I'm paying 10, perpetu- ten of, you know, perpetual cycle of paying. I'm paying 10 bucks a month, which is yeah. like not crazy. But I mean, you figure that's $120 a year for some free teeth cleanings here and there. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was paying for uh, insurance and stuff from uh, Michael's, but they are now under private ownership and they are no longer going to be doing uh, health insurance, at least not, you know, the, the affordable health insurance. Because I got emails and they're like, oh, we're not going to be uh, the, the the company I was under eight now. It's like, we're not going to be your, your employer is not going to be carrying us anymore. So your insurance will be done in like June or August of this year. Uh, so, uh, here's this other option, but, uh, this other option has more flexibility and more options, but it's insanely expensive. Uh, the other option is like, Hey, part-time, uh, employee at Michael's, uh, we think that you can afford a $7,000 out of your own pocket insurance plan. Is that something you can afford? Fuck no! I can't afford a seven thousand dollar insurance plan out of my fucking pocket. And you know what's crazy is I looked at the the rest of the site. I shit you not, I checked the mid tier one, which was the seven thousand dollars upfront plan. I checked the smaller tier one, like the one that's the low tier with you know supposed to be the cheaper option. It was more expensive. How the fuck does this work? Dude, how uh, do you how does the lower tier more expensive than the middle tier? They make zero sense on those on those <laughs> the like the health exchange marketplace it website. It was like $2000 more expensive. Yeah. I don't know, it's it's fucking it makes no sense. Um I I go. I can't get insurance through my job, so I have to go through the healthcare.gov and yeah, get one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that again. Yeah, I'm gonna I have gotta, to go through Apple Health again, through Washington, and yeah. So I got to go on there, yeah. and I get the I get like a premium tax credit or whatever, which um sub you know makes your plans cheaper essentially. And mm. um these these shit ass plans uh that um I end up that that like barely have any doctor good doctors yeah. or dentists in in your in the yeah. network these shitty plans before the the tax credit premium that i get they're they're like 365 bucks a month and yep. they're awful and you know i end up only paying like 10 because they subsidize i most was of getting it. them for free because of my income but i think my income is probably higher now so right. i don't think i'll be able to get it right so like but but i'm i'm just saying like dude I could just not have insurance and just save up for these procedures when I need them. Yeah. And I'd be better off, you know, because it's like if you paid mm-hmm. that every month at the end of the year, you yeah. would have end up paying like thousands upon thousands of dollars mm-hmm. when you might have only used it a couple times. It's so yeah, it's such a clear scam. I think I'm just going to wait for when the thing opens up again for my other job and I'll get insurance through that. But anyway, my second story is um, I when I went to the doctor, this new doctor, a couple months ago, he's like, uh, when was the last time you had your blood work done? I'm like, oh, it's been over five years. He's like, well, you should get it done every couple years. And um, so I was like, all right. And I just put it off for a long time. But then I was talking to my friend and she was like, 
yeah, we have this family friend who died and because um, he refused to get his blood work done. And they said if he had just gotten his blood work done, they could have caught it way earlier. Blah, 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 blah. So I was like, all right, that's that's you scared me into it because I didn't want to go in there because like I know my drinking. I, I, I'm a heavy drinker. Yeah. I'm a heavy drinker. Yeah. And uh-huh. I know that I don't eat the best. I mean, I've maintained my weight. I exercise. I drink water. I try to I do as much as I can to offset. My- I should. I should exercise, but I'm a, I'm a lazy bastard. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to just not do it. <laughs> but like, I just feel too awful about myself if I don't at least do it three or four times a week. I, I guess I get. I, I'm working at my other job more because uh, uh, Michael's has a, another completely new manager. And uh, she has made an emphasis on like consistently giving people like consistent hours. So like I I I work out quite a bit doing that one because I'm just running around the store. Like it's nice to do a good it's nice to do a good cardiovascular activity though a couple times a week to really get yeah. the heart consistently yeah. pumping. You know because mm-hmm. you're doing more of like working out like lifting heavy things and this that and the other. You you want to get that heart rate up for like over, well over I'm also minutes. getting the heart rate up because I'm ro- rolling around with a cart putting stuff away and just constantly you know rolling around the store. So I do get my heart rate up doing that too. It's better than nothing, but. It's still not as yeah. good as uh, a straight up like treadmill run or something like that. No, listen to me or, or a bike. Listen Look, to me, Jim, shaming you right bike. now. Yeah, we have a recumbent bike. I I I didn't pronounce that recumbent. Recumbent? I don't know. Yeah, recidivist. A recidivist bike. <laughs> a racist bike, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, Mike no. has a racist bike in his house. Uh, no. But no, anyway, I went to see the doctor, and he read me the, the results of my blood work. He said I have perfect blood work. My cholesterol, uh. my kidneys, my liver, no hepatitis C, the thing that killed my dad. Um, None of that. So that was a fucking... I should probably get some... I should get my blood work done again now that I think about it. Yeah. Especially since hey, I'm if having all these out there, side effects and whatever. Yeah, anyone out there listening, man. Also, uh, blood work is important for detecting cancer. Because uh-huh. your white, if your white blood cell counts are like really high, that is a good indicator that you probably have something going on in your body that needs to be examined. Um, but all my white blood cell counts were normal; everything was normal. Well, because I know people like who work in the medical industry. When I'm talking about my symptoms, <clears throat> they're like, "Oh, you know, people, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, they got the shot and then they." Uh, got symptoms and they had some kind of effects from it and they had some underlying autoimmune thing that they didn't know about so i'm like i know for a fact i don't have any auto i think i would have known by now if i had an autoimmune disorder the only thing that I happened mean, to me like after i got the booster the only thing that started happening to me is my testicles now emit this high-pitched tone <laughs> and i don't know I don't- I don't have that. I don't know what that's about, but uh, it's it's really it's crazy. <laughs> that's where that's where they uh, inserted the uh, the Bill the Bill Gates Satan yeah, demonic Gates, uh, chip yeah, microchip nano nanobytes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can kiss my nuts and my <laughs> work on my. So uh, at least uh, when you were getting your blood work done, you weren't like chained up and locked in a. In Satan's den. Yeah, yeah. Having to stare at some, uh, as you put, dollar store candelabra with the edgy little ske- skeleton <laughs> yeah. on it. 
Yeah. So, folks, we're talking about some sick fuck documentary that Mike dug out from the internet that and, and forced me to watch, like, Clockwork Orange style, with my eyes <laughs> pried open uh, the whole time. Um, I, I actually, like... This is how naive I was going into this documentary. I, like, sat down with my lunch. Like, oh, la da oh, I'm going to no. sit here and eat my lunch yeah. and watch this documentary. And it's like, ah, this this sandwich doesn't taste very good anymore. Yeah. Um, this is the story of serial killer David or... Well, they yeah. have his name in the fucking title of this article. <laughs> David Parker Ray. There you go. Toy bo- the toy box killer. Yeah, the toy box killer. Um, what's funny is uh, I I got the inspiration to cover this guy from watching like a random YouTube video. It was this iceberg video about Cartoon Network. And like the last thing he talked about was how Courage is a Cowardly Dog honestly could have had inspiration from a potential murder case from one of uh this guy's uh, uh victims so like that's when i first heard about like david parker ray and the toy box killer was in this youtube video about cartoon network and and talking about how towards the cowardly dog uh had a uh plot where there were a lot of similarities to some kind of uh of uh missing persons case and and the missing persons might be linked to one of uh david parker ray's numerous uh killing sprees i i i kind of detest the cutesy euphemism uh the toy box you know like and, and and i know that's like the the safe for work term that they can put they can slap all over their news uh cryons or whatever they're called the at the bottom of the screen yeah um but the headlines yeah but um i mean <laughs> toy box nice little euphemism for uh sex sex torture gynecological chair of death fucking yeah. like this the the most awful room really it was a fuck box like, but they don't want to call it that, you know. It's that, a that's satanic not... fuck box. Yeah, yeah, a satanic fuck box. It's not yeah. a good fuck box, because there are good no. fuck boxes out there. This is not one of them. <laughs> Although, you know, the sick thing is, I have some friends who are in the the fetish community that would probably look uh-huh. at that room and be like, oh, I could have some fun in there. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, the documentary, I think it was like a British documentary or something like that from probably like uh, some British channel or maybe it was Australian could be Australian too. Um, and it starts out with like an interview with this cop who works in truth or consequences, New Mexico. Uh, it's one of those, which, this was one of those uh, city names that just, um, just very bizarre. Like uh, yeah. Newport news, Virginia and muscle, uh-huh. muscle shoals, Alabama. Like yeah. weird name. So, uh, this cop, he's interviewed and he's just talking about how, you know, a lot of weird stuff happens here in, in Truth or Consequences. And then he just lists off, nonchalantly, just a bunch of random murder cases off the top of his head. He's like, oh, you know, there was uh, this guy who got stabbed 43 times. Uh, this other, uh, woman who got killed by her 
boyfriend and was stuffed in a trunk and lit on fire. Oh, and recently uh, we had this uh, guy who was found dead in his apartment and he was wearing blue panties and he had a doorknob shoved up his ass. Yeah, uh, you know, this is just a very weird place. For whatever, weird for whatever reason, weird here. crimes just happen in truth or consequences. And that's where uh, old fucking Roy Ray Parker Jr., the guy yeah. who wrote the Ghostbusters theme, <laughs> that's where he decided to commit these horrible acts. I have a cool sex box. You want to come see it? Oh man, um. So yeah, David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Uh, he began acting out in childhood, hiding a preference for pornography and violence from his family and peers. He later claimed that he tied a woman to a tree and tortured her to death when he was thirteen or fourteen. But this is likely more fantasy than fact, because you know these serial killers also like to embellish things. Uh, apparently. It was the first of up to 60 murders linked to the man who would become known as the Toy Box Killer. Again, such a um, watered-down, like, kind of friendly nickname for... Like, uh, that, that the, what California's biggest wildfire was called the uh, Campfire or something like that. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. Like, I hate it when they do that. It's like, could, could you at least assign a proper name, a fitting title, like... Or just don't assign a name, period, because it just makes them infamous. Right. The murders were sick. Many happened in a small trailer that became his killing workshop. The victims fully aware of what was happening before their demise. That's David Parker. That's arguable. That's arguable. Because we did watch the documentary. Yeah, and yeah. Well, I would say some of the victims were probably fully aware. Because he, he, I bet he probably got off of, on that, too. I mean, in the because they do show portions of the... Because yes. he recorded it, because of course... Every every uh-huh. good sick fuck serial killer has to record their their work, uh-huh. um, and in the recordings you can see the one that they did show the the woman appeared to be very um, kind of out of it, not really. Yeah, she was like unconscious almost. Yeah, she wasn't really screaming or putting up any no. kind of fight. And then after the fact, uh, when mm-hmm. when they finally located her, she said she couldn't, she could barely remember anything. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what. He always did. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it could be one of those things where he's doing his uh, sexual deviant kind of stuff and he's not killing them. Then he has them like drugged up and 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 so on. But when he's like torturing and killing them, he might have them awake. Uh, David Parker, the serial killer, had been on the FBI radar before, but they let him go. It allowed him to continue his killing spree in small-town New Mexico, uh, in truth or consequences. He had the help of family and friends who joined in his depraved crimes, which is something that isn't really touched upon a lot in this documentary that we saw. Like They don't really talk about the fact that his girlfriend at the time was uh, an accomplice. They do mention the fact that his daughter was involved. Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they yeah, the, I fi- the girlfriend. It's probably for legal reasons, but they, they make literally no mention of his yeah, girlfriend who because because she got off. She served like half her sentence, and I don't think the daughter even served any time. No, the daughter that was part of the plea or whatever for the guy mm-hmm. is that um his daughter wouldn't serve any time if he 
got yeah. this certain sentence or what he it was like 250 years in yeah. jail 220 some, years yeah. some shit without <laughs> parole and you know what's insane is the the fact that they went along with it like I, that's really crazy to me yeah that this was like a family thing not just him being a sicko like it was just a whole like family of sickos well, you know, I mean, you know, he probably molested his daughters to, to, and, and, oh. and, 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 and manipulated her mentally. Yeah. To Because, I mean, if he's doing all this shit at the age of, of 13, then, I mean, he, he basically spent his whole... Yet somehow he was, like, always really smart about it because he always flew under the radar and, like, nobody really knew. Well, I mean, he doesn't fit... He doesn't check off the boxes for a lot of people just like, by his appearance alone. Everyone at his work, at his, uh, his normal day job or whatever, they all had, you know seemed to like him and He's had a nice guy they're like oh he, yeah he made us uh, he made inventions for them yeah like a snake catcher and all this other kind yeah. of stuff but he can also make spiky torturous dildos as well yes which they and, they show at a certain and point. what might as well have been a chainsaw dildo like it looked like he refitted a chainsaw with a dildo on oh that's it. actually like, a fuck machine uh um, oh, okay the, yeah okay those are don't tell, don't ask me how I know, but those are things that 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 uh, are used that, sometimes that, that and, people are into. Yeah, that people are All into. Right. Yeah. So when police finally caught him, the details of his crime shocked investigators and the world. His story is told through books like *The Toy Box Killer* by Natalie Marshall. It's also told through countless media reports, news articles, and videos posted online. It was a story of signs uh, uh, that David Ray was different than many, and chances to stop him along the way. By the way, there might be some grammar issues. Uh, this is from Front Page Detective, so uh, some some of the, the the information might be written in a way that is not the best. What's fucking disturbing is this picture they have on here. The guy kind of kind of looks like my dad a little bit, but with like Ooh, lighter yeah. lighter colored hair. Yeah. Yeesh. So. Uh... I guess, uh, let's see here. That sounds like an edit. (laughs) Wouldn't it be Elephant Butte, New Mexico in 1999? Yeah, that one. You want to? Sure. So, one day in 1999, Cynthia Vigil Jaramillo ran down the street of a tiny village of Elephant Butte, where the biggest drama is the crush of summer tourists. It was a typically breezy and sunny spring afternoon, March 22nd, when the woman, naked and bleeding, gained freedom. Wearing a metal dog collar, disoriented, Jaramillo had just stabbed one of Ray's accomplices in the neck with an ice pick. She stabbed his girlfriend. I don't know why they won't Mm -hmm. ever say that. Uh, she had no idea the name of the street she was on once she got out of the house. The city was nothing more than strips of asphalt surrounded by double-wide mobile homes. In her terror, she looked uh, for a home that felt safe. She found it in a unit owned by Darlene Breach, who was shocked when a naked woman covered in blood entered her living room, then locked the door behind her. Breach called 911. By the time law enforcement arrived, she covered Jaramillo up and was taking her, uh, talking to her in a soothing voice. When the two deputies showed up, the bloody woman exclaimed to both of them, I'm alive! I broke free! They sat her down and asked her what happened. Shaking and crying, Jaramillo described surviving events that made the hair on the back of their neck stand up. And Jaramillo could help find the place uh, she'd been held captive. 
The woman, what the woman described was done to her for days. Uh, the woman then described what was done to her for days in grisly detail. And they actually talk about uh, uh, briefly some of the stuff that might have been uh, done to her, or at least the the conditions that she was in. Uh, like there was like a bucket with human fecal matter in it. There there were like broken vases and stuff thrown all over the bed. That was um, how she. Well, that's what they saw when they yeah. they went and searched the house. They saw yeah. like you know the, the the bucket that they had to use yeah. the bathroom in and. All that. I mean, fucking good on her for, you know, escaping because yeah. she probably would have gotten murdered. Had Here, Here's the fucked up thing, though, is after, you know, she comes forward and she escaped from this psycho. You have all these people discrediting her because she's a, a sex worker. And a heroin addict. Yeah. The, the her- but at the same time, I mean, yeah, okay, you're addicted to heroin. You are a sex worker. But that doesn't mean that you're making shit up all the time especially something like this i mean it's pretty obvious i mean she had a dog collar on her neck i mean uh, i'm I'm just saying i think they were they were mainly pushing the like the heroin angle more than anything else like Mm -hmm. she's not a credible witness because she's a heroin addict and i mean that's like i guess if you're an alcoholic you're also not a credible witness because you know if you're drunk all the time then you know whatever Um, but then they tried to say that uh, one of his victims, one of his other victims, was not a credible witness because of the fact that she was drugged by him. Yeah, she could, she was pretty like pretty amnesiatic or whatever. Yeah, um, it was it was probably the first girl's heroin withdrawals that made her like gave her the superhuman Hulk like strength to like break through and like just break through the chains and smash a vase over the bitch's head and. <laughs> Be able to like bust out of the door and shit. I need heroin, goddammit! Like, I'm not gonna say that, but you know, I mean, dude, there, there's a possibility that that might have been the case. Uh, the deputies Lucas Alvarez and David Elston worked for the Sierra County Sheriff's Department. Their days were spent policing traffic stops, domestic squabbles, and breaking up a fight or two. Neither had experience investigating homicides, and the story they heard was almost too much to believe. I mean, it really is. They drove. Yeah. They drove Hadamio wearing a pink robe, donated by Breach to the nearest hospital in the larger town of Truth or Consequences. Elson followed up on a strange nine one one call that had come in moments before in the same neighborhood. Whoever called hung up, but dispatch traced a number to an address on Bass Road, less than a block from their encounter with the bloody Hadamio. It was Hadamio who made the call before she fled for her life. So. Uh... Now we segue into a little bit more about David Ray. Years before the woman was found, there were signs of something amiss with David Ray. He uh, had had a social worker or social or school psychologist. I don't know what a social psychologist is. <laughs> had a social worker or school psychologist seen evidence of a disturbed mind in David Ray. Someone might have made a note or started a file, but he wouldn't begin committing crimes until after high school. The markers of depravity began when he discovered sex. His hatred of females likely grew out of adolescent rejection. When his father visited and brought copies of True Detective magazine, Ray ate them up. He got his hands on whatever violent pornography he could find. Ray's social discomfort made him a victim of bullies and uncomfortable with girls, but to teachers he was just another quiet boy who thankfully didn't misbehave in class. Ray's sister found his stash of pornography when he was 14, but when she asked him about it, he made light of it. He'd already developed a taste for bondage. 
Psychologists would point to other factors in the boy's life. The absent mother, the violent and missing father, the grandfather with unreasonable demands. None of this made a mark on Peggy, but for David Ray, the only real pleasure he got out of a lonely childhood was musing about torturing and killing women. He developed a fetish for broken bottles and kept a stash of them in a dungeon he built in the woods when he was 15. The only thing David Ray showed much aptitude for was building and fixing machinery, which served him well for future employment and his lifelong dream of building a torture chamber. Like, this is just how fucked in the head this guy is. Like, his lifelong dream is not, you know, a lot of what a lot of other people's lifelong dreams are. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, I'll get a good paying job, you know, you know, find a significant other... Yeah, you know that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm over here like I want to make songs that are gonna make people feel good. And then this guy's like, I want to build a torture chamber. I want to collect broken glass and build a fuck dungeon. So uh, David Ray graduated high school with a D average in 1957. He lived uh, in uh, Albuquerque with his mother for the last year of high school after his grandmother died. He met a girl a year younger than him, and they married two years later. He joined the army as a mechanic, leaving his new wife only a few months after the wedding. Ray liked being a mechanic, but not a husband. He was hardly ever home, although his wife gave birth to a child in 1960. In 1961, she happily agreed to a divorce, and he got custody <laughs> of their only child, a son named David. He quickly left to go overseas to work again, dumping his infant son with his mother. What were you... I like how she, like she happily agreed to a divorce. Like, yes, yeah. please for the love of God, th- this man is a piece of shit. You, because you know he tried out his weird shit oh, yeah. on her. You know his, and I, I'm not trying to kink shame anyone. If you're into like bondage and shit, there's nothing wrong with that. But like the degree that he took it to was fucked up. I mean, spike dildos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, consent is key. <laughs> I mean, if if yeah. that's what you're into and, and, and you're both consenting about it, that's one thing, but yeah. No, but this would, like, rip apart your thighs, so I don't think that anyone would be... I don't know, man. Like that, I said, I know but, some weird... Yeah. I know some weird fucking... My circle of people that I know has gotten further and further removed from, like, mainstream <laughs> society to where yeah, okay. shit that I would have never thought was like okay or normal i'm like yeah that's, that's that sounds about that okay. sounds fine they're just small talking with you about spike dildos and shit <laughs> i've had i've had the conversations before that's all i'm saying oh all right come come to riverside okay. and ja- come to the riverside area in jacksonville florida and you too can become corrupted as i wa- as i was uh so uh david met another woman in 1962 and this marriage only lasted a few months now, back stateside, he moved in with his mother. He was 23 years old, employed as a truck mechanic, and within three years would meet his third wife, Glenda Burdeen. So this this f- fucking guy had three wives? Together, they had a daughter in 1969 named Glenda Jean. Glenda Jean Ray was a daddy's girl from the start. Decades later, she remained unusually close to her father. She grew up tall, slim, and a blonde tomboy, the spitting image of the dad she adored. Later in life, she changed her name frequently, going by Jesse, or Jesse most of the time. Although smitten with his infant daughter, who displayed a strong-willed temperament, David Ray abandoned his family, a wife, three young children, and his mother. He spent the next few years on the road, working odd jobs and making a living using his mechanical ability. He gained few possessions of friends and acted like a man who had no family. 
At 29, he settled down again briefly outside of Albuquerque. It was 1969, and David Ray embraced the hippie lifestyle, including free love. I'm just imagining this fucking guy just being a part of the hippie crowd. You know, peace and love and you just... Hey, man, fucking Charlie Manson got cut his fucking teeth in yeah. that culture. Yeah, you got a point. Uh, David Ray lived in a trailer off Route 66 until he decided to return to his wife, who remarkably welcomed him home to Albuquerque. In 1981, after a decade of putting on the facade of a family man, uh, Ray's third marriage ended after he proved he couldn't seem to say, stay in the same state as his family. He also developed his love of torture and murder that would continue for decades. It was a spree his daughter Jessie Ray knew about. She even helped him commit his crimes but their relationship wasn't always perfect. Then they show like a, a, a screenshot of a, a, a bit of his torture dungeon. I think it's like his gyno, gynecological chair or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is definitely a creepy uh, sight for sure. Yes. And like he had like this pole too. He called it an ankle spreader. Uh-huh. Where he created this invention where he could just spread your ankles apart with this like pole yeah and he like he and honestly i don't know if this is true or not it might be an interesting thing for people to do with serial killers is like compare their handwriting to handwriting of you know other people who are considered to be more sane because this way because his handwriting looked crazy like did didn't his handwriting look like okay yeah this this guy looks like someone I don't remember seeing his handwriting yeah because they showed his handwriting on the ankle spreader he wrote ankle spreader on it and, and on the snake catcher thing he's very he's very much into uh, he's very practical about, about his labeling yeah Sna- snake catcher ankle spreader yeah I don't think he labeled the spooky candelabra though I don't think he did anything I I. I don't know what the hell he probably on the back for. of that thing he probably carved the words like poor taste or something in the <laughs> back like like regret buying um <laughs> lost receipt so can't return unfortunately <laughs> um do you want to start sure. with jesse ray grows up <laughs> jesse ray grows up In 1986, aware that her father had a bondage hobby that included torture and murder, Jessie Ray, now 21, took action. By now, her dad was on marriage number four. He'd found a woman from Phoenix named Joni Lee, and they both had settled down in Elephant Butte on Bass Road, close to a reservoir that brings thousands of tourists each year. In the ensuing years, Ray made good money as a mechanic. He and Joni bought a second property in Stoneleaf, New Mexico. Ray traveled back and forth to Phoenix for employment. He continued his cryptic activities involving prostitutes, kidnapping, and torture. But that was the Elephant Butte property on, uh, but that was what the Elephant Butte property on Bass Road was for. The fourth marriage didn't last. Shortly after the divorce, he met Cindy. Jesus, how many fucking women did this guy have? I don't know, man. Dude, a lot of chicks are into some freaky shit. You know the the ones the ones that he wasn't trying to torture and murder. You know he's like, hey, I got a fuck chamber. You want to check it out? I mean, honestly, what else is there to do in Elephant Butte, New Mexico? I, I don't mean, know. There's probably other things to do than check out a fuck chamber. We I'm can either we can either <laughs> hunt for snakes, 
we can stare into the sun or we can fuck around in the fuck chamber. You know, like what or or uh, do like crystal meth. I'd probably considering all choices, I'd probably hunt the snakes. No, no, I'd probably go for the meth. Anyway, um, Cindy Hendy. And this is this is the girlfriend who ended up really being his accomplice in all this shit that would Mm -hmm. happen going forward uh she worked at the uh, elephant butte state park they clicked immediately and moved in together around the time cindy told david ray she too wanted to rape women wow and she's free talk about like toxic like character traits to have and like when you when you admit that to someone and the other person's like hey that's what i want to do too wouldn't at that point you'd be like, man, we sound really fucked up. We should probably go get help. No, no, that never crosses their mind. He probably was like, oh my God, I, I you're my soulmate. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. You know, I love you. I sure am, honey. Just please don't ever torture and rape me. Okay, that, that'd be great if you can just not do that. Uh, so she would become another one of David Ray's accomplices. Still, Jesse went to authorities and told them what her dad and new mom were up to. Just before Jesse went to the authorities and shortly after buying the property, David purchased a 25-foot-long windowless cargo trailer. He parked it on Bass Road and named it the Toy Box and began yeah, using... He's, he's called the Toy Box Killer because he labeled it the Toy Box. He also called it, what was it, Satan's... Satan's Den. Satan's Den. Satan's Tacky Den with the shitty skeleton candelabra. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess he just was like, eh, Satan's Den, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll still use that. But a toy box just run, rolls off the tongue better. Satan's Den sounds like some lame haunted house. I like how, like, by calling it Satan's <laughs> Den, he's not even making any allusions to the no. fact, like, he knows what he's doing is pure evil. Oh, absolutely. And he's just, he's just embracing it, like yeah. whole cloth. So he named it the Toy Box. He began using his decades of mechanical experience to construct a torture chamber. Jesse showed up on the FBI's doorstep at the branch office in New Mexico in June 86. FBI agents interviewed Ray, investigating Jesse Ray's claims for over a year, but it was all too much. The agents didn't believe he'd committed any crimes. They saw Jesse Ray as coming to them out of spite and blew her off. The FBI put away the David Ray file in 87. He would prey on dozens of women over the next 13 years. Well, who the hell was the daughter of his who helped him lure one of the victims? If if the, if Jesse hated or was trying to get her dad put... I don't know. Like, that's kind of weird. Maybe she also helped him, too. Like maybe she went back to him. Or maybe it was another daughter. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. It doesn't mention that. Uh, now we get to the toy box. Um... Beyond the physical torture, Ray enjoyed telling his victims what he was going to do to them in precise oh. detail. And the, the tape recordings, which mm-hmm. uh, I might see if I can pull that up on yeah. YouTube and insert it into a podcast. Those are he, easily the creepiest parts. Yes. He installed a mirror over the gynecology exam table he set up inside the toy box so they could see what was being done to them with various tools that lined the walls of his twisted workshop. Uh, he had like artwork, too, that was just disturbing. And just all kinds of uh, fucked you know, of him, I guess, torturing these women. Uh, Ray used a tape-recorded uh, message, which victims recalled as terrifying. 
Uh, it was recovered with the rest of his array of torture tools. Oh, and, and they have message, they, they do have the yes. transcript here. I'll I'll read it because I, I feel like I can okay. do the better of the southern right. accents. <laughs> uh, dude, before we get before Josh reads this though, uh, this is very disturbing. Yes, and if uh, content about rape or torture or some of these other things, uh, it 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 triggers you. Uh, I would yeah, I would skip suggest ahead. skipping ahead because this is really really intense and disturbing stuff so you've been warned yeah so they play a tape and it starts out with him going hello there bitch like there's no even there's not even a convict no. like he he sounds like he's never said the word bitch in his life mm-hmm. like it's not like hey there bitch it's like hello there bitch are you comfortable right now i doubt it wrists and ankles chained gagged pie blindfolded you were disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. Now, you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless. Don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know you can't. Now, you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What this all amounts to is you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal to be used and abused anytime we want to, any way we want to. <laughs> Leaves you speechless. It's just, and then the thing that disturbs me, the thing, shocking. the thing that disturbs me about his fuck chamber, like after he was done with them, there was like mm-hmm. this little cubby, uh, yeah. thing, with this slide out, yeah, um, like platform that he would place them on and chain yeah, them it up a to cot. it. It was like a like cot. a cot, and then he would slide it back under yeah. the like a drawer, and he'd like mm-hmm. and he'd, he'd close it up until he was there, and leave him there until he was ready to fuck him or do whatever to him again. Yeah, and so they'd just be locked up in complete darkness in this tiny space, just yeah. completely evil beyond evil. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, just, uh, just. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of stuff that uh, there are no words you know, to really describe the the amount of evil. Um, also, for some reason, in the first trial, the judge. Threw out this tape. The judge was like, this tape is irrelevant. He threw out the tape because yeah. the only credible witness, which was another lady, the the one that wasn't the heroin addict, mm-hmm. uh, the second lady who they actually interviewed for the documentary, her daughter, his daughter, met her at a bar and she was the only one left at the end yeah. of the night. And the daughter lured her back to her dad's house and the woman fell asleep on the couch. I forget her name. I'll just call her Sarah. So Sarah falls asleep on the couch. Is it Kelly? 
I don't know which. Whatever. Yeah, it's Kelly. I think it's Kelly, Kelly. Sure. All right. Now everyone's confused. It's Kelly. Kelly was the the second victim that we hear about. Um, and basically, uh, the uh, fucking what's the guy's name? David Ray. Yeah, David Parker Ray. David Parker Ray. Fuck, my dad's name is David Ray, and not not his middle name was Ray. Um, anyway, um, that's creepy. So David uh, essentially taped her mouth up and, you know, captured her or whatever. And he used, like, sodium barbitol and some other Mm -hmm. chemical. Pentothal, yeah. which uh, basically gives you amnesia. So the fact that her memory was so blotty, she didn't remember if she heard that tape or not. And so She didn't even, also at the same time, she didn't even know that these nightmares that she was having about being tied up and tortured were anything based on reality. You yeah. didn't know that until the FBI contacted her because uh, they had the tape. They had the tape with her on it. but uh, And they were able they to were... identify a tattoo on her leg. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and she came forward and it's like, hey, that's that's me. What the fuck? Why, why do you have this? Yeah. Can you that, imagine that? No, Can you I imagine I, being in her position. I couldn't, but if I did, if something like that were to come out, it would explain a lot of my fucking mental problems that I don't know where they came from. Um, but uh, yeah, so because the satanic ritual abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I did come up in the '90s during the satanic, uh, all the satanic stuff going on, and yeah, and Maryland panic, and I did see a couple of Marilyn Manson music videos. So there's that. But anyway, uh, because she didn't remember. If she heard the message or not, that's why the judge said it wasn't. Man, there's so many cases I hear about where if the judge yeah. had just let something be admitted into evidence, it would have been a slam dunk case. But exactly. the judge is a fucking dick. And isn't yeah. it's like this guy who is supposed to be Mr. Uh, you know, uh, pr- like, uh, you know, prudent on all his decisions is going to like have this slam dunk piece of evidence and be like, no, we're, we're not going to let the jury hear that. Exactly. Cause this was a slam dunk piece of evidence. Like that audio, it's like, okay, yeah, this guy is a sick fuck. Like this guy is a fucking psychopath. Right. Who is made a, an actual audio recording of him basically telling these kidnapped women that he's going to rape and torture them. Like this, this is not a joke. This isn't like uh, something that you could construe as uh, some kind of imaginary thing that somebody made up. Like this is, it's right there in front of you. But at the same time, so is a videotape, and apparently that wasn't enough for the the jury in the first right because uh, trial the, the, the the defense was trying to argue that what yeah. they were seeing on the tape was a consensual act and between two adults. Fucking wrong. And hearing the defense attorney like explain his thought process. Oh, but the defense attorney, we 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 get a nice t- about face from him later yeah, on, which I love. We do. I thought that was yeah. fantastic. I want. I, I really want to applaud yeah. him for that. Yeah. Because before then, you're like, "What the hell, dude?" Like, it's yeah, like, it's like you fucking dirty goddamn lawyer. You know this motherfucker's guilty, and you're still gonna try to defend him. But then you know he yeah. sees something. But I mean, just the whole thing. It's like. It, it doesn't, you know, he's just caressing her leg and just patting her. Like, he's not hurting her. Yes, because in that particular video, he wasn't doing anything. No. And, and that's the only videotape they found in his house. Yeah, that they had anything to to 
tie him. So to. the the gnarly ones, I'm sure he was smart enough to either destroy or or hide somewhere that wouldn't they would never be found. Well, we erased it because you you can see the tape itself. Like it looks like there's portions of it that are erased. Like he has like it, it seems like maybe he erased uh, some of these tapes, but then he wasn't able to erase everything. So there were still like snippets that were still remaining well he got he's gonna happen he got lucky that this the yeah. one that happened to remain was the most innocuous one of the yeah. bunch because you know there was some yeah. probably disgusting ones oh on absolutely 100 but uh yeah they, they was trying to the, the defense attorney was trying to make it seem like it was consensual I'm like she's tied up and she's like uh, almost unconscious yeah and that How? in that particular take or that in that particular tape he was just like caressing her gently he wasn't like doing but anything still, but still oh i know it's still <laughs> fucked up but like it, it, you know if you were to argue any of the tapes if if the, any of them had a chance of being like oh well this is yeah. a consensual it would have been that one but I, I don't even know how that could even be construed or even looked at as I mean just look at the fucking room itself does this look like a room of a any sane person would fucking have you know like it it literally looks like one of those crazy inbred you know you you fucking take a trip down south and you get get, you know crash your car and then these uh these kindly uh bum fucks take you to their cottage and then you wake up in this fucking sex dungeon that's exactly what you think of when you think of like it looks like the fucking sex is in sodomy like dungeon in pulp fiction you know, oh, the, it looks you know, way worse than the, that. It does, but I'm saying it's a similar sort of thing. You know, where you have you could see like a guy in a gimp suit being in a box somewhere in the corner and, and of people, this fucking room. People wonder where that stereotype of the uh, sick su- southern man who has this like weird sexual fetish. People wonder where that stereotype comes from. Well, <laughs> yeah, from deliverance. Yeah, but, yeah. ultimately, but um, <laughs> yeah, man. But uh, yeah, the 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 first trial wound up uh, leading to a hung jury. Even even uh, the the victim, she was shocked. She couldn't even believe it because uh, the defense was at once also trying to tear apart her testimony because of the fact that her memory uh, wasn't um, up to snuff. But Oof. the reason why her memory wasn't up to snuff is because she was drugged by the motherfucker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I I could never be a lawyer because it, the, there there comes a time in your career where I have to believe that at least a def- defense attorney, right? yeah, like that, yeah, yeah, like you, every defense attorney at some point in their career has probably defended someone that they probably knew was most likely not innocent. Yeah, I couldn't deal with it. My conscience would no conscience would not let me. I've I have a tr- I have a hard time saying conscience as well because my brain gets conscious and conscience <laughs> yeah. confused and like the wires get crossed. Yeah. So uh, just before, um, yeah. So you you talked about the David Ray file. Um, we talked about the box. Um, he spent more than one hundred thousand dollars and countless hours hand building his torture chamber. It is likely that Ray made snuff films as he reported making money by filming his activities and then selling the videotapes online. So this sick fucker sold these tapes to other sick fucks. And the sick fucks buying them knows that they're watching an illegal act happen. And they don't care. No. There's some sick fucking people out there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I used to think snuff 
films were just like you know the stuff of horror films or whatever and just fake oh no they're very but real I, yeah yeah they're very real i i will i refuse to see one like if anyone ever tries to show me first off i'm gonna wonder why the fuck they have that and yeah secondly we I'm got gonna... close with the the cat one or whatever the heck that was oh like, yeah the, don't don't fuck with cats or whatever yeah, don't fuck with cats yeah luca magnata uh-huh raise victims will never be fully cataloged because in addition to building a torture chamber out of chains and pulleys fully labeled with leg spreader or ankle spreader he's just labeled everything even on the spiky dildo he had like he marked in marker uh like certain depths or something or like you know he put like inches and this, this fucking guy man insane he covered his tracks by burying his victims in the vast Elephant Butte Lake. The FBI put together a site showing mementos they found in the toy box and at his residence, hoping anyone searching for their missing daughter, sister, or mother can help identify the missing victims. This, this article makes a lot of assumptions because they yeah. never f- actually found any bodies. No, but he's also saying a lot of things. And there's a lot of missing persons from that area. So they're right, just kind but... of putting, putting things together. Some of the toy box killers' victims remain unknown, but we do know what happened to others and their names. Here are their stories. You want to go with Billy Bowers? Billy Bowers. Billy, 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 Billy Bowers. All right, hold on. Shut this fucking game off. Billy Bowers was raised longtime business partner who was reported missing by his family on September 22nd, 1988. Six days later, a man fishing an elephant butte Lake found a body floating in the McCree Canyon area. It was secured with two boat anchors. There was no ID, but the skull showed a bullet hole, and the corpse had $50 in the trouser pockets. Authorities listed him as John Doe until Ray's girlfriend and accomplice, Cindy Hendy, confessed that Ray murdered Bowers and dumped his body in the lake shortly after he went missing. Using dental records, law enforcement positively identified the body that floated to the surface of Elephant Butte Lake as Billy Bowers in 1999. His remains were returned to his adult son. Why didn't they mention this in the fucking documentary? Now they're making me look stupid. Yeah, they didn't mention everything in the documentary. The documentary, like I mean, it was good as far as like yeah. the video footage, but man, they were really shitty on the details. Yeah. Maybe they didn't have the details yet at that point. That could, but it said you know it happened in 1999, unless the documentary was like 98. Um, Kelly Gary. What uh, it, it, it predicted something in the future? I, it was made in '98. They I, I, <laughs> They didn't mention that though. In they the saw documentary. into the future. They're like, this documentary about this guy is made in 1998, but in 1999 he's going to be doing some shit. No, I'm saying like it, they didn't. Maybe they didn't know what happened with Billy Bowers. Like maybe that wasn't something that came to the surface yet. Uh, by the time the documentary was made. But I don't know for sure. I think the documentary was like a 2000s thing. They just didn't have all the info. Uh, Kelly Garrett. Uh, Jesse met Kelly Garrett at the Blue Water Saloon on July 24, 1996. And she's the one that was interviewed in in the documentary. And you, your heart just goes out to this woman. I mean, she there's even like uh, bits of her interview like near the end where she's talking about like I I'm never the same. I will never be the same. You know, I I wish uh, that you know I could find that part of me. You know, that kind of thing. You know, that part of me that's no longer there. Uh, you, you definitely did feel for her. Oh yeah. Um, 
and it, it she was there to drink and unwind after an argument with her husband i guess that wasn't mentioned she was just saying she liked the bar hop and was there with a friend of hers uh jesse set her sights on getting kelly home to her dad after drugging her drink uh called her dad to pick him them up from the bar so it is jesse jesse was working with her dad again uh, once inside his vehicle, Jesse and Ray clamped a medical, uh, clamped a metal dog co- collar. He uses so much medical shit. I, I guess that just popped in my head there randomly. Uh, yeah, clamped a metal dog collar around Kelly's neck and transported her back to Bass Road. Ray tortured Kelly for four days while his daughter watched. Uh, like the other women, uh, she was drugged, raped, and subjected to electric shock and bound using a variety of gruesome methods. On uh, day four, uh, Ray drove Garrett to an isolated spot in a nearby, uh, oh, actually, uh, desert and slit her throat. After seeing blood gushing, he walked away, but Garrett survived. She told her story to her husband, who didn't believe her. Garrett went to the police, who also dismissed the events as fanciful. What the fuck? Thinking she was mentally deranged. Uh, she filed an official police report, which got misplaced. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely safe to say the 90s was definitely not a believe women uh, era. Good Lord. No, apparently not. Um, yeah, so, and that they didn't mention that part either about slitting her throat. Like, that wasn't mentioned at all. Uh, she, sold her, she told her story to her husband. She filed a police official police report, which got misplaced. No one took Garrett seriously until her... her uh, Haramilo, years later in 1999, escaped uh, from Bass Road after overcoming Cindy Hendy with an ice pick. Want to take the next one? Uh, Sylvia Marie Parker. Mm-hmm. In July 97, a homeless woman living on the shores of Elephant Butte Lake was allegedly strangled to death by Dennis Roy Yancey. An acquaintance of Ray's via his daughter, Jesse Ray, who supplied her with meth and coke. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, you remember what I said? There was nothing to do in Elephant Butte except meth, catch snakes, and f- use the fuck chamber? Mm-hmm. I knew what I was talking about. Sylvia Marie Parker was the mother of two young children and was living with them in a tent she'd borrowed from David Ray. She was abducted and subjected to days of torture before Yancey murdered her while Ray filmed it. Yeah, and by the way, uh, we we are wrong about Kelly. Like, she just wasn't even mentioned in the documentary at all. Okay. Like, the, 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 the uh, woman who was in the documentary was Angelica. So, our bad, we fucked up. Uh, I don't know if there's a way to edit it to make and whatever <laughs> to fix things, but I, I that's I would why I was say, just trying to call her Sarah. You know, just use a generic yeah, name, and then also you're... at the same time, this is so like disturbing and fucked up. So I, that I think like we're just kind of discombobulated a little bit more than usual. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna use that explanation. <laughs> Rake, I, I only do one video edit per podcast episode, <laughs> so I'm that's gonna... your. The hard and fast rule. I'm going to have to choose wisely what I edit out this time. Uh, Ray claimed he sold video copies Uh, to online acquaintances who shared his love of sadistic torture and hatred of women. But whether Parker was one of the victims filmed for profit remains unknown. Parker's body was found in an abandoned building in truth or consequences. She showed no obvious signs of torture. Her murder was not connected to Ray until Yancey's confession in 99 when he flipped uh, on Ray. They did mention him. They did mention Roy. 
And he was a him coming forward was huge because that's how they were able to tie in a, a murder. Yeah, because I mean they were talking about how smart he was and all that, except for when it came to you know, yeah, the people who he led into his world. Yeah, that's where because he, fucked he up. because he uh, he said he uh, killed a, a bunch of people and threw their body in a lake and and uh, the police went and looked in the lake they didn't find anything and so they had nothing they had no bodies they had nothing and and no uh no instance of murder to tie to to uh to david until uh roy came forward uh the next victim is angelica montano she is the one that was uh, interviewed in the documentary uh i apologize profusely once again for mixing the names up and I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I don't I don't think you have to apologize profusely. <laughs> I just think a normal amount of apology is warranted there. <laughs> I'm just saying, like some people, you know, like so unprofessional. Now, if you like, had, if you had called her the wrong name and then you called her a bitch after that for no reason, that that then I could yeah see yeah you got you got a point there profusely. Uh, another of Ray's casual acquaintances who lived in truth or consequences. <laughs> I guess I got confused because they mentioned a bar in the story with the other victim and that ties into you know how they they got angelica so uh, i did, i just saw a bar and i automatically assumed it was angelica because the fact that the documentary didn't even mention the other victim no they only mentioned two uh so angelica visited ray and hendy's home on uh, february 17th of 1999 where she was kidnapped at knife and gunpoint they tortured her for three days inside the house, bathed her, and then took Angelica to the toy box and strapped her to the gynecological... I can't fucking say this word. Gynecological. A gynecolo- gynecologist table? Gynecologist. Gynecologist table. Thank you. Uh, after begging for mercy for four days, Angelica was dumped on the side of the highway outside Truth or Consequences. She hitchhiked to Albuquerque and then went to the local police who did nothing typical local police <laughs> uh you know what 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 a, a torture chamber come on i mean if the torture chamber it's it's we're in fucking truth or consequences in new mexico we're now if it was a doorknob up the ass that would have been different we would have believed that because that you know that kind of stuff happens here but a fuck chamber yeah that's more of a it's more of a Boulder, Colorado thing than it is a truth or consequence thing. Uh, Montano again came forward after Ray and Hendy's arrest following Jaramillo's escape and testimony. Montano was deposed, uh, but died shortly before the trial. What the hell? She was 28 years old and suffered a sudden bout of pneumonia, which led to heart failure. So that's not even the same person then. Like, that's another, that's another person that's not even fucking... I, I thought that the fucking I thought that it would actually like maybe now I'm confused now now you do need to profusely apologize because you just <laughs> you fucked up so many times Mike uh, you've made I, so I, many mistakes I I, I I would say that it sounds like this article didn't mention something left somebody out all right next we got Cynthia Vigil Jaramillo whose last name I just love saying because I'm so good at Spanish um. Cynthia was a 22-year-old sex worker who willingly climbed into Ray's vehicle on March 22nd. She was immediately met with duct tape and a metal dog collar. 
Jessie Ray helped her father subdue Jaramillo, who said she had no chance against two people with weapons. They drove her 150 miles out of Albuquerque to Elephant Butte, where she was chained to a wall inside the Bass Road residence, Bass Road. Three days later, she fled into the sunlight and sought help in Lorraine Beach's living room. Uh, her testimony against Ray at his trial led to a campaign to locate other victims. Jaramillo is the co-founder of Street Safe New Mexico, whose mission is to help women who are facing lives on the street for whatever reason. Oh, and I just found out, because this is another edit for you. It just it'll just make it so, you know, you know, we don't look like total fucking dumbasses. Uh, we were actually right the entire time about Kelly. Oh, my God. So what? Am, <laughs> what so what am I doing then? So we have the aftermath. Uh, authorities investigated the activities that David Parker Ray believe he is responsible for multiple murders. The official estimate is between 40 and 60. Ray told Hendy he had perfected hiding his victims in the nearby lake by splitting open their abdomens and filling them with cement before submerging their bodies. His victims, uh, who struggled with drug addiction and often made their living through sex work, were not taken seriously by authorities, including local police and the FBI. It is quite possible that Jaramillo could have escaped and also dismissed uh, by police had it not been for her 911 call moments before she ran out of Ray's house. Ultimately, what got Ray arrested was discovering the home on Bass Road and the toy box trailer on the property. That evidence, along with the testimony of credible witnesses such as Yancey, Jesse Ray, and Hendy, got him prosecuted. Uh, although it took two trials to get him prosecuted. Because the first trial wasn't successful, but then they did a retrial, and then this time around it worked because the judge actually did admit the uh, audio tape of him uh, telling these women what he's going to do to them. Like the actually, that was admitted in, into uh, the trial. So I, I think that definitely is probably what did it. Like I, I know the documentary said it was her testimony that was the main thing and i'm like yeah but i i really think that's what swayed the jury yeah i mean and it would have done it the first time too had the first judge not been a complete jackass and uh since we're talking about the second trial i might as well mention the the defense guy who actually like you said he did an about face yeah i love the documentary yeah he, the documentary the the guy off camera is like uh did you think is uh responsible uh, or do you think he's guilty? And then the guy repeats back, do I think that he, uh, you know, got like captured women, brought him back to his house and tortured him? Yes, I do. <laughs> and the guy goes, isn't that your uh, isn't that your client that you're trying to defend? And he goes, it certainly does sound that way, doesn't it? And he goes, look, he goes, uh, when I got into this business as a defense attorney, I knew that there was going to I was going to have cases where the person I was defending was guilty. And I'll, let me just say, David Ray Parker is someone who I do not feel should be in society. Yeah. And I was like, good man, you know, like yeah. having the balls to be honest mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, no, my client was a piece of fucking human excrement. Yeah. And he was on camera, too. Yeah. So, yeah, he definitely uh, did an about face, that's for sure. Um, David Ray, though, initially, like, he was acting like he was innocent. Like, he had this whole thing set up with his defense attorney that it was all consensual. And, you know, he he did these acts on these women and they wanted it. 
and then he cleaned them up and let them go. You know, that kind of... Like, he... Like... So, yeah, he admitted to crimes against two women, Hera, Milo, and Garrett, in exchange for a plea to reduce his daughter, Jesse's sentence. Before admitting any guilt, he maintained that all the women accusing him of rape and torture were willing participants. Of course. Of course he would. Uh... Uh, has that ever happened where we had like a sick fuck serial killer or rapist who was like, yeah, yeah, I raped them. Uh, they definitely weren't willing at all. <laughs> like, have we ever seen that? Like, I, I, I don't. It's 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 interesting that they don't. They aren't just like brutally honest. It's almost as dumb as when you're watching a show like say like 2020 or something like that. One of these investigative. Yeah journalist shows and like they'll they'll like uh, so i was watching one yesterday where um this kid was accused of murdering his mom and dad and, and he got convicted and and given the evidence and everything it looks like he's 90 percent guilty and so the guy uh dave gutierrez or whatever the one of the guys who works for 2020 he like goes to the jail and he visits the kid, and they do this all the time on these shows, and it fucking drives because it's the stupidest thing in the world. He goes, he goes, you know, um, whatever the kid's name was, Shane. He's like, Shane, did you kill your parents? And he's like, absolutely not. No, absolutely did not. It's like, why did they? Why did they ask that question? I know. <laughs> why did they ask that question? The the dude's in jail. He's been convicted. He's trying to get out. He's been, you know, all these motherfuckers say the same shit. Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Why in their mind would they go in there and ask a question? Do you think the person all of a sudden is just gonna just look look around and just take a moment of silence? But you know what, man? I know this is gonna air on national television. Yes, I did kill my parents. I did. You know, it's just no one ever asked me before that directly. And when you asked just then, uh, I just well that happened. I think one time that, that I could think of that not on. Uh, on like national TV or anything, it, it kind of rings a bell from like a case we were talking about, where uh, they were trying to interrogate this guy, and then they mentioned uh, uh, the crime in a certain way, and then he was like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I did it. And this is how I did it." And like, why? Why are you? Why yeah, he he admitted to it now? years later, and he's yeah. like, "Well, no one, no one ever directly." Yeah, out. exactly. Yeah, that's a very rare case. Yeah, that that, yeah. that is one exception to that rule. But yeah, yeah, I mean, usually that drives me crazy. I'm like, why would you ask that uh-huh. question? That's the stupidest. Well, did they thing. use like revert? Would maybe they might try to use like reverse psychology and just be like, uh, "So yeah, you're innocent, right?" No, like, I you killed my parents. It. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, damn it! Shit. I, I'm guessing I have no control of the edits over this, do I? Oh, damn it. You're going to air uh, this, aren't you? <laughs> so, uh, David Parker Ray, uh, he said he was innocent. Uh, they were all willing participants uh, in his uh, fuck chamber of doom. Uh, he was convicted and sent to prison, though, uh, because the jury didn't buy it at least the second time around, and he was sentenced to 224 years behind bars, but he died less than two years later in May of 2002. Of heart, uh, heart problems. Yeah, he died of heart failure. His fucking conscience finally killed him. And there is a special spot. There's a special uh, own torture dungeon 
uh, for for this uh, sick fuck in hell. It'd be rather fitting for him to be tortured for all eternity by all the fucking implements that he used to torture all these women. So, uh, Hendy, uh, Ray's primary accomplice and girlfriend, was given a 36-year sentence in 2000. She was released 19 years later. She originally faced a sentence of 54 years, but told investigators about 14 murders she claimed that to lead them to burial sites, but there was nothing there. After her release, Hendry lives today as a free woman. Jessie Ray is now 51 years old. She was sentenced to two and a half years in prison with five years of probation. She never admitted to any crime and did not cooperate with the police. She faced 12 counts of kidnapping, but walked free with time served in September of 2001. Yancey served 12 years in prison. Upon his release in 2002, he quickly violated the conditions of his parole. He was reincarcerated to serve his entire sentence until 2021. Damn. Yeah, parole, uh, being on parole sucks as someone who's been on parole. You were on parole? Yeah, I got that DUI. Oh, that was, uh, that, you were on parole for that. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's part of your fucking, that's the conditions of your uh, DUI. I only got parole, I was only on parole for six months. uh, I know my uh, stepbrother, he was on parole. If it's bad, if, if you get a bad enough DUI, they'll make it a year. Well, he went to jail for assaulting a police officer. So, and oh then, shit! And then he violated his parole, uh, trying to stay with uh, my dad and my stepmom for a little bit. And uh, he's out now, though. He's he's doing a lot better. He's doing really good, actually. He's got a wife and he's got a kid. Yeah, what sucks about being on parole is they tell you like no drugs or alcohol. Like that's mm-hmm. usually a very standard condition. Yeah. And they, they will randomly drug test you, although they never did with me. And I, I figured after about a month of, like, not drinking, I was like, dude, these people aren't going to fucking, they're not going to, they're not going to contact me. And then I, I also learned that, like, alcohol leaves your system within, like, 24 hours or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's like, I'd have to get really unlucky. Well, not now, because I drink yeah. almost every night. But back then, I drank less. And... It's like I'd have to get really unlucky for them to yeah. just, you know, and, and my parole was in Gainesville, which is a city, you know, like to the south of Jacksonville or to the west. Uh-huh. So I didn't physically I wasn't in the same town as my P.O. So I, I had to send him a letter where I had to fill out the sheet every month and I had to send him a money order for like 100 bucks or something every month. Um and but I, I if I lived in the same city, who knows? Maybe they would have. I don't know. They never they never drug tested me though. Um, the drug part, I would have. No, that's I'm, that's fine with me. I don't do any drugs. But the alcohol part, I'm like son of a yeah. fucking bitch. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, maybe they yeah. saw you as like a first time offender. We'll, we'll we'll take it easy on this guy. Yeah, I mean, they probably saw what I was in for and how low, mm-hmm. you know. I was a point oh nine, dude. They they put priorities on things for sure. I mean, that's what they do with other petty crimes, you know, with uh, you know shoplifting and whatever. They put priorities on. But stuff, yeah, but... dude, you you fucking you get called into drug test and you drank the night before, or you drugged the night before, and you pop positive on the drug test. Yeah, you violated your terms of your probation. Your ass goes to jail. Yep. It's uh, it's a very being on parole ain't no fucking. I mean, you really no. gotta mind your p's and q's, you know. Like you gotta fucking, you gotta really stay on top of that mm-hmm. shit. 
scary, man. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know if it's as scary as uh, you know torture dungeon, but yeah, oh no, pretty, yeah, still pretty that's, scary. That's yeah. for sure. I got nothing else to say about David Parker Ray except he's a, a an absolute sick fuck and and just a horrible excuse for a human being. Um, and I'm glad he's no longer on this earth. I don't know. I kind of wish he like languished in jail, you know, for yeah. a while and, and yeah. like think about what he did. But it, he he somehow made his body uh, take the coward's way out and and die, you know, mm-hmm. instead of uh, you know having to do any soul searching. So, uh, you got any final thoughts for this um, case or, or the documentary itself? Trying to think if there's, there's anything I wanted to mention about the documentary. Um, you know, the fucked up thing is, and I talked about my friends, you know, and how I've gotten into a weirder and weirder group of friends the longer I've lived mm-hmm. out here. Um, mm-hmm. Like 95% of the things that this guy did, there are chicks who are into that. But they consent, and they're totally down with that shit. And it's like, why couldn't you just found someone that was, like, into it? Rather than, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe... I think he said on the tape, the screaming is part of, is part of what turns him on yes. or whatever. Yeah. So that, the whole rapey nature of it. Yeah. I think my possum's rooting around in my bathtub right now. Ooh. It's always a Poss- weird. The possum's a- getting all worked up about <laughs> David Parker Ray. <laughs> that possum's a sick fuck if he's getting worked up in that kind of way. I'm not saying about that kind of worked up. I'm talking about oh, you know get angry. all riled up. You uh, know, yeah. my pos- I have a possum of conscience. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, it's definitely a possum. I hear him clawing at the underside of the drain. I don't know what that. I don't know what they do under there. Like. <laughs> It's they weird have their own I, possum dungeon. Yeah, yeah, that, where they take all the cats in the neighborhood. <laughs> the possums are such pussies, though. Like they, 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 yeah. they are not the type that would have a dungeon. No. Yeah, probably not. Um, what the fuck else was I gonna say? I think that was it. I think that yeah, pretty much it. You um, didn't have anything else from the documentary? No, not that I can think of. Um. Yeah, it's a fucking sick documentary. Look it up on YouTube if you yeah. want to uh, check it out. I actually it's... linked it on the group. So, oh, okay. Know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, dovetailing into that, if you want to join our Facebook group, you can go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, hit the Groups tab, and you should see our group pop up. You just have to answer two questions. That would be pretty fucking obvious if you actually listen to the podcast, but you'd be surprised the flood of requests that I get for people who want to join the group. And the first question is, are you joining this podcast because you listen to the, or are you joining this group because you listen to the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast? And the amount of people who leave it blank or say no. And then the second question is, if you put no, then why do you want to join this group? And they'll say shit like, I want to know the answers, or I'm interested in paranormal stuff, or whatever. And I'm just like, this is a fan group for this podcast. This isn't, we're not posting any secrets that no one knows about, you know? Uh-huh. Like, Jesus Christ, you people are stupid. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, join that group if you want to, uh, you know, stay stay up to date with what we got going so on. So, 
I'm just going to throw in like a, a little bit of some extra stuff here. Uh, some little extra details about the Courage the Cowardly Dog connection. Um, David Parker Ray, uh, you know, the toy box killer. Uh, it, the, the connection is that the Courage the Cowardly Dog house is said to be in the middle of nowhere. Uh, David Parker Ray lived about seven miles north of Truth or Consequences in the town where he located and kidnapped all of his victims. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico had a population of about 3,000 in the 90s, truly making it like the middle of nowhere. Um, naming the town after its true name would have been too obvious for the show creators, uh, but the similarities are striking. Like, there actually is a picture of this house and in, in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, where there were these two... Uh, there was this couple that went missing. Uh, the only thing that was left behind, I think, was like their cat. Um, and if you look at like the side by side here with the 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 house and the house from the show, like it, it <laughs> it's pretty uncanny. Like the windmill is right there, the house is right there. Like it's it's very it's very close. Yeah, it's 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 pretty trippy. Um, so he was known for traveling to Truth or Consequence, looking for houses that were isolated and far away from any town, something the Truth or Consequences had plenty of. After stalking his prey, he would use disguises and try to gain the trust of the family inhabiting the secluded home. Once David Parker had identified his targets and learned about them, he had three main strategies. Here. See, this is some new stuff that we they didn't really talk about, like his strategies and sort of a serial, serial killer stuff. Like a lot of the documentaries just focusing mainly on the toy box, you know, the torture dungeon, that whole sort of thing. But like he had a, an earlier history of doing other really fucked up stuff, probably just straight up killing people. But then that got too boring for him. So then he created a torture dungeon. More than likely, if you think about it, we, when it comes to these kind of serial killers and their MO and like all this stuff that they are known for and their mindset, like this does tie into it. You know, he started out breaking glass and reading, you know, porn and and got into bondage, but then it turned into, you know, killing people. And then that wasn't in- interesting or, or exciting enough for him anymore. So he created a torture dungeon. Uh, so, uh, he, uh, identified his targets, he learned about them, and he had three main strategies. Winning sympathy with a sob story to be allowed entry. Tricking the homeowners with grand promises, money, slash movie deals, etc. Cutting the phone line and offering help. All three of these strategies are commonly used by the evil characters in the cartoon. <laughs> now you have all these, you know, all these sort of connections, uh, between, uh, you know, Courage the Cowardly Dog and, and, and David Parker Ray, potentially. Um, I thought that was kind of crazy, kind of trippy. back in the '90s when even cartoon humor was subversive. I think that was a was that a '90s? I thought it was a 2000s. Like it could have been like late '90s. <clears throat> like, do you remember Courage to Go to the Yeah, Dog? yeah, it was a '90s show for sure. Yeah, I used to watch that a lot. I remember, like, it was or some day of the week, it was like a Friday or something, and they'd have, like, brand new tunes, and it was like this yeah. swirly pattern uh-huh. thing, and, and they would air these, like, shows that would go on to be these legendary franchises, like yeah. the Power, Powerpuff Girls, uh-huh. Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Laboratory, mm-hmm. um, 
Courage the Cowardly Dog, uh, yeah. Cow and Chicken, um, uh, like all these shows that went on to do like you know be like cult classics. Cartoon, 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 a cartoon, or what a cartoon? Yeah, it was one yeah. of those. Yeah, I think yeah. it's what a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember seeing all all those shows when they first came out. I I always, I always thought that they were like B level versions of Nickelodeon shows. To be honest. Like I, don't I felt know. like I, I think I, I honestly I look back and I I look back more fondly at Cartoon Network in well, the nineties. I, th- I think um, Nickelodeon. I think Cartoon Network shows were were more adult oriented. Yeah. E- even before Adult Swim. Like, yeah, I mean, because Courage the Cowardly Dog, like, there's some really like legitimately fucked up shit in that show. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's <laughs> there's some definitely some fucked up shit in like Ren and Stimpy and like yeah. Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, but. but the- but this is like straight up horror. <laughs> yeah, the the innuendo is a lot more subtle. There was so much shit. I hated. I hated when there was when something happened in a cartoon when I was a kid and I didn't know what it meant. Like uh-huh. that shit. That shit annoyed me so much. Yeah. Now, I'm like, now, what does that mean? I, yeah. Now as an adult, I'm like, this show still holds up because of the fact that there are things like that. Right. Where I could be like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> definitely did get that as a kid, but I definitely get it now. And there's a lot of stuff in Rocco's Modern Life you can relate to. Because of just like how it connects to life, you know the absurdities of uh, credit cards or public you know, transportation you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Courage I, I watched a lot. Dexter's Lab. Uh, I remember watching Kids Next Door. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, we've just we've just evolved. We've devolved yeah. the podcast into shows that we watched as kids. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. What else are we going to talk about? Been, people have been asking for you know more chit chat. Sometimes also like what what else do we we don't have a replacement for the the Josh Bauer diary? I had some <laughs> um, I had some uh, young lady message me. I feels like an old fucking man. Just I had some <laughs> young some nice young lady messaged me the other day. That kind of my- reminds me of this gal at work. She kept calling me sweetie and like honey like numerous times. <laughs> I just I don't know if it's socially acceptable anymore for me to refer to women as chicks. I mean I yeah. know I say it a lot on here because it just uh-huh. feels it feels right because like if I if I'm casually referring to a man I say a dude. If yeah. I'm casually referring to a female I say a chick. But I don't know if that sounds like a problematic language uh, or not. But whatever. Anyway, this chick messaged me on my uh, Instagram and she she basically messaged me just to say that she was listening to like whatever episode of our podcast and that she loved like the josh flower diaries or whatever yeah and i'm just like fuck well i wish there were more you know because like people liked that so much and Uh you know it it, like gave that i feel like it like breathed some life into our our show i don't have anything i was such a shy kid and and so insecure that i didn't even write anything i didn't write any diaries and write anything down Dude, people literally want me to like make a huge like master compilation of only like the Josh <laughs> Flower th- segments of the uh, that would take so long. Oh yeah, it definitely would. Um, but uh, yeah, um, we can start closing her out because I gotta go to my yeah, gig soon. So we anyway, have um, YouTube channels. Yeah, well, uh, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreoncom slash mysteries. for three dollars. You uh, sometimes. <laughs> You sometimes get the podcast early, depending on when Mike gets me the audio and I'm able to edit it. Um, it's more of a thank you and like you're keeping me going kind of thing than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, 
I owe the IRS $3,400, so, uh, yeah, anything helps at this point. For oh. five, five dollars, right, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm a 1099 worker, so I end up owing at the end of the year. For five, you can suggest an episode you want us to cover. Eddie, I got you. Uh, apparently, he recomm- he. he suggested episode idea for us and and i guess it got lost in the messages so i'm gonna have to go and find that um and then we also have youtube channels that we put a lot of work into mike's uh, youtube channel is uh youtube.com slash ocp communications youtube.com slash ocp communications he's a movie buff he has gotten buffed by lifting movies with his eyeballs (laughs) uh what was the last video you did on your channel uh channel um <laughs> uh last uh video i did was actually just a vlog i talked about a few different things showed some stuff i picked up uh uh for my collection i reviewed a film called saint maud i reviewed a film starring the two Corys, cory feldman and cory Haim, called national lampoon's last resort which was horrible i also reviewed a neil brain movie called twisted pair uh i don't get why people ironically enjoy these movies it's so painful to sit through it's so fucking bad the guy can't act he uses stock footage he uses like uh so much green screen that it's just ridiculous he doesn't make any sense they're just boring i don't find them to be entertaining in their badness i just find them to be incredibly boring and inept uh, but people love it, and that's why they—that's why the film has like a five point two on IMDb, when it should have like a one point something, because people are like ten out of ten. This movie is amazing; it's a masterpiece. Like I, I, I just find I find you know that almost people, sounded like that almost sounded like Homer Simpson's voice. I didn't mean to mean it to, but I just I don't really care for this this whole trend of people ironically thinking some film is great just for the memes or whatever even though i feel like doug walker kind of like kick-started that not, not yeah kind of with the room and yeah, some of the other yeah. like them like dunking but, on m night Shyamalan all the time take tommy was so any day of the fucking week over fucking neil breen anyone who's ever seen a neil breen film would probably agree uh, and then I'm also going to be covering Top Gun recently because uh, Top Gun Maverick's coming out, and I'm actually going to go see that tomorrow. So, what are your that. what are your expectations going into that one? Uh, I'm expecting to be blown away by the visuals, by the stunt work. I'm expecting to be not as uh, blown away by the story. That's that's what I'm expecting. Also, why the fuck is the film two hours and seventeen minutes? It's Top Gun two. Why is this two hours? The first film wasn't two hours. <laughs> two hours? Like, almost two and a half hours. Like, come on, pull back on the throne. <laughs> you know, really. I just I just can't, like... It's hard for me to fuck with Tom Cruise after, like, all the delving into Scientology I that I've know, done. I know, I know. But the man... Yeah, he's a madman, but he makes some pretty damn good movies. And he's one of the last people in Hollywood that wants to do shit for real. So I guess that's part of why I, I I try to support him, yeah. Because of the you know, despite what he's done, and 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 what he believes in, because you know, when his Mission Impossible films, like a trailer for the most recent one dropped, and like it's it's fucking insane. Like he's jumping off a cliff on a motorcycle, 
leaving the motorcycle in midair and doing a free fall. <laughs> like this fun. guy. Yeah, he he is he is legitimately a crazy person. And I mean, if you see the stuff in Scientology, you're like, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> it makes sense. If he, then, I mean, he's gone. He's gone clear, man. He he yeah. has super he has superpowers, according to L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like it kind of you kind of buy it to see some of the shit that he does, man. Like in these <laughs> well, that's that's why they value him so much there because he influences so much more people yeah. than any Scientology propaganda ever could. Yeah. For you sure. Know, talk talk about a fucking ringing endorsement, you know. Tom yeah. Cruise is like, oh yeah, this is the religion I believe in. People are gonna be like, oh, let me let me give this a little look. Oh, you're fucking batshit crazy and you want all my money. Fuck you, Tom Cruise. Um right on. Well, my YouTube channel is uh youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. YouTube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um I am a music-based channel i do videos about music i do little mini documentaries i talk about you know the time periods like uh, my last video was um the girls the awkwardness of 80s pop stars having to transition into the 1990s Um, i saw that one good job thanks and how you know they how grunge and like hip-hop affected every single 80s pop star in one way or the other and how they literally all had to come up with a new mm-hmm. game plan because that 80s sound was just almost overnight it was almost like yeah. not like not cool anymore. Speaking to- of 80s sound like this this might be considered off topic but you know I just heard about it and I thought of thought about you like did you hear about Andy Fletcher? Yeah, I yeah. did I heard about that just a little while before the mm-hmm. podcast. He was uh, one yeah. of the guys in Depeche Mode. He was a keyboardist, yeah. The shitty joke that I keep making that's probably too soon to make. I, I I've been telling my friends, well, in all fairness, no one really knew what Andy Fletcher ever did in that band anyway. Ugh. <laughs> like I said no, probably too soon, but yeah. I mean, I look, that sucks. He's one of the original guys who's been in it from the get-go, but He's not David Gaughan or Martin Gore. Like, those are really the two guys. And I would even go as far as to say, um, fuck, the other guy in the band who quit, um, who really, like, gave their sound some teeth in the 90s. Like, Alan, Alan Wilder. That's his name. Okay. Um, like, even he contributed more than Andy Fletcher. Um, I, Andy Fletcher was, to me, probably one of the guys who played a supportive role. He was kind of one of the, you know, he was probably easy to get along with, uh, so they just kind of like kept him in there. Um, but he wasn't like a... Okay, like, if the Beatles were still around and Ringo died, people would be like, damn, that sucks, but... Eh. If I was to choose any of the Beatles that had to go, it would be Ringo. Because he was kind of the least essential. I mean, that sounds cold as fuck. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to sound cold. Like, I don't know the guy personally. Yeah. I only know him as the dude in Depeche Mode. Uh huh. So that's all I can really speak to is yeah. that context. But yeah. Um. Yeah. It sucks though that that technically we won't see the original lineup. Although after Alan Wilder left, um, you know that kind of stopped being the original lineup for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was the guy in the band 
at their best when they were making their best stuff. And when he left, they instantly, like, there was a huge instant change in their sound. Um, But yeah. So check out my channel. Check out those videos. Uh, I got to rock a wicked piss, and then I got to go host some fucking karaoke. So till next time, uh, have a good rest of your night. Goodbye. See ya.